You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, it's good to be able to gather with you again this Sunday, and uh, it is great to gather as the body of Christ, and encourage you to grab your Bibles, go wherever you, if you don't have your Bible, get your Bible, and you need to have a Bible in your hands. If you don't have a Bible at home, please let us know. Just fill out one of those online connection cards. We would love to be able to get in your hands a copy of God's Word, because we believe God's Word is mighty, and it's powerful, and it's transformational, and so that's why we preach the Word of God, and so we are continuing in our series in First Peter, and uh, we're talking about a transforming hope, a transforming hope that we can have in Jesus Christ, and it comes to us as we are in the Word of God, we, this is where we see these realities come true in our lives as we take God's Word and we apply it. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll be looking at that in a moment. You see, God's plan and God's desire for his children is that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, that we just wouldn't stay where we are. And, and this transformation or metamorphosis, like we saw last week in that of the butterfly, that undergoes an amazing transformation. You see the beautiful butterfly on the, on, on the screen there on the left-hand side, and you see the different stages of metamorphosis that it went through, and, 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 and some of them are kind of ugly, some of them aren't very exciting, but then it becomes very beautiful. And that is something that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to take the ugly, he wants to take the hurt, he wants to take the, you know, just things that aren't that very wonderful in our lives, and he wants to change us and transform us. And this is a process in the life of a believer called sanctification. Not only are we saved, but we are also being transformed to become more and more like Christ. But you see, sanctification just isn't automatic. It just doesn't happen on its own. It involves us taking clear and decisive actions in our lives towards holiness, towards godliness, towards this transformation. The Christian life is not passive. It must be lived intentionally. And in verses 13 to 21, we started this last Sunday in looking at, at, at verse 13, Peter describes how transforming hope, how a transformed life can take place. And we started last week, we saw this inclusio or or bookends, or we called it even a sandwich, like a hope sandwich. And, and as you look at verse 13, it talks about set your hope, and then in verse 21 it says, so that your faith and hope are in God. And the verses in between tell us how we can experience transforming hope, transforming power in our lives. How you and I can be changed in a greater way to become more and more like Christ. Now remember that Peter is writing here to Christians. Either they are already in the midst of persecution, but the trials that they are facing are intensifying, and persecution is a coming. And so they are going to no doubt start questioning uh, their allegiance to Christ because it's because of their allegiance to follow Christ that they are going to suffer or are currently suffering. Yet it's interesting that, that in this letter, as he's writing to, to, to troubled Christians, in, in this letter of encouragement, that, that early on here and in these verses, he gives us some very strong commands, some imperatives, some things that we must do, that we must pay attention to in our lives. And you see, Peter is writing not as just a mere human. He is writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit knows, the Spirit of God, he knows that in the middle of trials and difficulties and seasons of discouragement, that we must keep our relationship with God strong. We must keep it healthy. We must keep it unbroken. We must stay the course. And so these commands that he gives that must be lived out in our lives, whether we're in trials or when we're not in trials, that, that these are things we need to continue to keep growing in. We're not going to... to, to to perfect it. We're not going to do this perfectly, but we need to be intentional and it needs to be progressive in our lives. And this will enable us to experience whether life is good or whether life is terrible. This will allow us to experience the full expression of God's help and wisdom and love and power and strength that is available to us as his children. But you see, one of the great temptations is, is that in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulties, there is the temptation to compromise, to capitulate to, to the culture around us, and to forego the power and the presence of God. And this is the time that we need His power and His presence in the greatest way, and yet oftentimes it's not there. Because we haven't been growing this, this hasn't been developing in our lives, or because we run in fear. And so last week we saw this transforming hope is possible when, and, and you'll we'll see these, it's possible when we ready the mind. We need to be 100% aware that we are in a spiritual battle and the enemy is looking to snipe at us anytime, anywhere. We must ready the mind. We must be prepared. We must rid the junk. We must deal with the distractions, the distractions that often take us away from a deepening, growing relationship with Christ. Good things that become, become God things, little g God things, that become the new goals in our lives. And they may not be bad things, but they take and they replace the time that we can spend with God, the time that we need to invest in our relationship with God. And they're good things, but they become these God things and, and the new goals in our life. And God is no longer the the goal. And then we must thoroughly remember what is, what is ahead. That God has a glorious future home that he's preparing for his children. Now today, as we get into verses 14 to 21, we're going to see two, two more commands that we are given. Now remember that when God's word, when God gives us a command, it's not like, here, do this, here is this instruction. Here is this in instruction for you to follow. Good luck with it. You're on your own. No, he also supplies the power and the ability for us to be able to keep it, to be able to live it, to be able to obey his word. His power is available for obedience. <clears throat> now, the two commands that we're going to be looking at today involve topics that oftentimes aren't talked about much in church. It's uncomfortable, it's not popular. And, and, and these topics, we're just going to fly over them. We cannot fully cover them. In fact, the whole sermon series could be built on these two topics. And so we're not going to be able to fully cover them in the minutes we have here. But these are vital. These are life-giving. These are essentials in the Christian life. But so oftentimes, these two commands that we are going to look at are often greatly misunderstood, they're abused or ignored, and, and can be a key reason that we lack the power over sin in our lives, in us not taking these seriously or understanding them properly can mean that we don't experience the depth of the intimacy in a relationship with God. These two commands are vital. It is the difference between weakness and strength. 
And the difference between discouragement and joy, regardless of the circumstances. It is the difference between anxiety and worry. And what is available is a faith-filled, God-filled confidence. It is the difference between worry and confidence in God. So to build off of last week, this is actually point number four. And here is the fourth command. To experience transforming hope, the transforming power of God, we've got to run to personal holiness. We need to run to personal holiness in our lives. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter is is taking this from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. But holiness and the theme of holiness for the child of God is a theme throughout the entire word of God. Notice it says here, we are to be holy in all of our conduct. Not just half of it, not just a part, not just what we pick and choose we're going to be holy in. He says, in all of our conduct. But you see, holiness can get a bad rap. It can be badly understood. And, and, and it can be greatly abused as well. You see, holiness is not legalism. And yet oftentimes, legalism is also seen as holiness, but it isn't. Legalism takes a command from God's word and it adds to it. It makes it harder to obey. And all throughout time here on earth, God's people have looked at at, at God's word and they see that God's word is good. And so, three times better is even greater or is even better than that. And so, we take and we add to God's word. Legalism, rule following, and and, and rule keeping can be so crushing. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Saskatoon, starting out in ministry, I had a youth retreat one weekend and and got back Sunday afternoon right before the evening service, grabbed a quick shower, put on a pair of dress pants, put on a nice sweater, a button-up shirt, I guess button-up shirt first, then a nice sweater, and I went trucking off to the church and and just just in time to be able to go up on stage, I was going to be involved in the service in, in some capacity, and just as I was about to go before the service started, the head usher took and he grabbed my arm and he said where are you going I said I'm going up on the stage I'm involved in the service he says where's your tie and I was I mean couldn't even really see my collar but he had somehow noticed and and I said oh I don't have one I said I just got back and he says here take mine and and he took off his snap-on tie (laughs) it was real a snap-on tie and he's like here wear mine and I said uh no I think I'm good thanks I said it doesn't really match and I think I'm okay thank you I gotta go and uh The whole service, whenever I looked his way, he was just like this. He was just disgusted that I would be on stage without a tie. And yes, there was a letter written. And yes, there was a meeting. And yes, he ended up sadly leaving the church over me not wearing a tie. Many of us can tell and may know stories like this. You see, legalism and rule-keeping causes oftentimes great hurt and discouragement, leading some just to throw up their hands and say, I quit, I can't do this, I don't want to be a part of this. People on the outside of Christianity end up seeing Christianity as lifeless and joyless and rule-keeping. Or it can also drive a person to a secret life 
where on the outside it looks, everything looks great and the answers are right and, and, and the appearance is wonderful, but on the inside or during the week it's all dirt and filth. But then there's others who just love it. They, they're, they're disciplined by nature and they just can do more holiness and more additives to the word of God and they just kind of thrive on that. It's a mess. To be holy, here's what holiness is. To be holy means to be morally pure, to break with sin. It means literally to be set apart from this world, to be set apart from the influences and pulls of this world, and to be set apart and devoted to God and to his purposes. It means that we desire to continually break free from sin, whether that be from our past or from present opportunities towards sin that we will always be presented with. And at the root, it means that we will ultimately, we will look and we will live and we will act differently than those who don't know Christ. You see, Peter says in, in uh, verse 14, he says, look what it says. It says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You're, you're going to live a different life once as a child of God than you did beforehand. Your life could, well, no, your life should look radically different. And Peter even describes in 1 Peter, in chapter 4, verse 3, he describes what some of those former ways of life can entail. This is not an exhaustive list. He's given an example, but it covers off even things that we can struggle with today. And he, he, he describes it as living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. We need to break from the world around us and to pursue God. We are to run to the God who has saved us. You see, holiness is to be like our Heavenly Father. Notice it says, as obedient children. Now, Peter is writing, he's writing to Christians, people who have been saved, redeemed, forgiven, people who have been given a new identity, people who have been adopted into God's family as God's sons and God's daughters heirs with Jesus Christ to the kingdom of God. And so if we are his children, we ought to reflect his character, his values, his attributes, his moral purity, our thoughts, our words, our actions increasingly ought to be more and more like our God, more and more like our Heavenly Father. And yet we oftentimes toy and flirt and chase after things and experience and, and, and enjoy and partake and laugh at and indulge in the sins and the filth that cost God's son death on the cross. We are to put those things to death. We are to put those things off. You see, if God is truly our heavenly father, we ought to we will strive to become more and more like him, to reflect his character. And it's a great concern that if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ today and you are living in areas that are contrary to God's word and you feel no guilt, no remorse, or you can just excuse it and say, well, that's just the way I am, you are on very dangerous ground. And you need to examine your heart before God and your standing before him. We ought to reflect that life 
and the love in a growing, increasing way of our Heavenly Father. You know, it's pretty funny at times how children can sometimes reflect or become more and more like their parents. I'm, I'm sure all of us have examples of this. And some of it is DNA, it's genetics, it's nature. It's just a, you know, because you just a chip off the old block. Um, but it can also be environmental. It's nurture. So nature, nurture, DNA, and also environment. Now, now here's a picture that I quickly found this week. It, it's not the best quality, I'm sorry for that. But it's a, a family picture from 13 years ago. And uh, you'll see me and my siblings, and, 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 and people will say that me and my siblings, we look a lot alike, and, and, and that uh, even increasingly, I'm hearing more and more, especially from my wife and from my kids, that I sound and I walk, and at times, uh, well, at times I walk uh, and, and talk like my dad. And um, I chose this picture because one of the things, and, and I, I had the part circled, so if you go on to the next one, you will see that there is something strange about both my dad and I, that, that when we will be, oftentimes it's, it gets captured when we're taking pictures, but, but um, we can move on now because it's not the clearest, but, but you'll see that we stand like this. I'll, I'll just show you here on, on camera, so we'll just go away from that one. All right, so, so I will stand, my hands kind of like gun positioned, oftentimes like this, and my dad will as well. And it's kind of the strangest thing that oftentimes in pictures, even now, my family will notice, oh, look at dad's hand, it's always like this. And, and, and so oftentimes I end up finding myself like that, and that's just a product of who I am because of my dad. Um, this past Father's Day, and I got permission to read this from our daughter, Clarice, um, uh, her Father's Day card this year. This is a little excerpt of what it says, and um, said some very nice things, but she ended up saying, I have realized, especially in this past year, how similar our humor is, and how many bad dad, or should I say, Meldon jokes I make, but I am my father's daughter, and I am so thankful for you. And she goes on in her letter. And so we become like our fathers. We become, and, and, and we become like those that are around us. I, I asked some dear friends this past week, some, some friends who a number of years ago adopted three children into their home. And, and I asked them, how have your children not been having your own DNA, how have they picked up your traits as mom and dad? And the mom did most of the answering here, and, and, and she said, well, one has my temper, another one my stubbornness, and another one my procrastination. But she also gave the good side too. She says, but they also have some of our good traits as well. One of the boys wants to be a truck driver just like their dad. Both boys have a love for Dodge cars and trucks just like their dad. Now, I'm not sure if that's brainwashing or maybe even borderline abuse. Like, really? Like Dodge? Uh, I mean, yeah, anyways. Uh, but she goes on and, and says, but all three have a great love for the Lord and are willing to stand for Christ even when it's not popular. Again, just like their earthly parents. Isn't that great? You see, we become like whom and what we are influenced by. What we are surrounded by. And children of God we ought to be more and more reflecting our Heavenly Father. And that is included in personal holiness. You see, holiness isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules to follow. Holiness is the sole property of God. No one else is holy as unto our God. He is the example. 
And he says here, be holy as I am holy. A holy life reflects and lives out the character of, of, of God, the love of God, even in the nitty-gritty of life. But you say, how do I do this? How do I know and, and, and know how to act and react in different situations? Well, ultimately, we look at Jesus, don't we? We have the entire word of God, but then for a human example on how we are to act and live and react, we look to Jesus, who is a, the perfect, perfect human standard for holiness, and, and you'll remember in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You see, Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father. And so we run to and examine God's word. We see what Jesus did when he was mistreated, when he was maligned, when he was tempted, when he was hurt, when he felt alone, when he was deserted by his friends and his family, when he, even when he faced death. We learn from Jesus and we become and we grow in holiness as we learn from the life of Christ. As we learn and as we obey, as we apply the word of God in our lives. That's how we become like our Heavenly Father. And holiness, ultimately, it is a beautiful life. But it won't be an easy life. It will be a fight. We will fight the world and the temptations and the pull of our flesh. As well as the spiritual warfare from the devil. And we're going to fight our old ways from the past. And then there's going to be new opportunities daily, continually, to be able to, to venture off into areas of sin. And here is God saying, out of the gate early on in this book, as obedient children, be holy like your Father. And so we run towards holiness because we run to our Heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, who protects us, who will give us the strength and the power when we pursue Him. But sadly, here is oftentimes what can happen. We oftentimes like to snuggle up or get cozy with sin. Oftentimes we try to, get to, try to get as close to sin as we can without really going too far. How much of the world can I kind of keep and hold on to and still maintain my Christian status? I mean, that's just such a wrong way of even thinking, but we do it. How can I keep living kind of one foot in the world and one foot, you know, in the church or one foot with God, one foot, you know, because I want to go to heaven? Our lives ought to and should look different than the world around us. And yet, it just seems even more so in the last 10, 15, 20 years that, that, that as Christians we have, are, are fashioning ourselves and our pleasures and our desires and, and, and after the things of this world, just like those who don't know Christ. And we're hoping people see a difference in us, and oftentimes they can't. We just look like them. Yet we think we need to pattern our lives, our entertainment, just like those in, in the world in order to win them. And, and I've seen oftentimes, even with new Christians, where they make a break from sin, the old is gone. They want nothing to do with it. They've been saved from darkness to light, but then over time, because of influence, because of the pull of the flesh, because of the pull of family or friends, the world uh, and, and, and the temptations that come, they start playing and starting to nudging in the shadows. And they start moving away from, they don't move back into darkness all out, but they're kind of moving from the light back into the shadows. But it's just not for new believers. That happens for longtime believers as well. And, and some of you, we can all relate to this, I'm sure, where we've had seasons of growth and commitment, closeness with God, closeness with God and His people and just an intimacy and a growth. 
Maybe it came as a result of a summer camp or a retreat or, or, or maybe a small group that you were a part of and it was just iron sharpens iron. And, 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 or maybe it was even through a trial that you went through and, and it just drew you closer to God. And, and there's aspects of that trial that you would never exchange because of the closeness and the intimacy that you felt with God. Maybe it was after just a book that you read or, or, or a great sermon that a pastor preached and it was just so life-changing and helpful, but then slowly over time, the drift, the compromise started to happen. We started to fill our minds w- w- with things that, that just aren't pure, that just aren't right. We kind of run after other things or else we go on vacation. Vacation is a killer when it comes to our spiritual lives oftentimes. We get out of the rhythm, out of the routine. We think we would have more time to spend with God, but oftentimes we spend less time. And so easily how others or our own flesh just pulls us away from the things of God and towards this world, and you have to realize that that is happening. And some of you, that's happening major, and you are just sliding headlong into areas of materialism, sin. Perhaps it's an area of an addiction. It just started a little bit, little bit here, and now you are under the control of it. You need to run to holiness. Repent. Make a decisive break from sin. You need to sever it. You need to cut it off. You need to get help and return to the Lord and run to holiness. Run to a loving Heavenly Father who is waiting for you to forgive you and embrace you. We can't be passive when it comes to this. We cannot be passive. And then we also see that transforming hope is possible when we rest in the fear of God. Here is another command, to rest in the fear of God. Look at verse 17. It says, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, according to one man's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Here we see God is Father, but we also see God is judge in verse 17, don't we? As we call upon him as Father, but he's also the judge. And God's word is crystal clear that one day, We will all stand before God, our Heavenly Father, but also God, our Judge. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, every believer. And for everyone who has placed their trust and their confidence, they've confessed that they have sinned against a holy God and they have made a clean break from sin, in their heart and in their mind, they have turned from sin, repenting and confessing the sin before God. And believing that Jesus Christ lived on this earth as a perfect human being, God in the flesh, and became that sinless substitute, dying on the cross for our sins, taking the wrath that we deserved, rising again in victory, conquering sin and death. And when we place, when, when anyone, and you could do that today, you can place your trust, your confidence in Jesus Christ by faith, trusting him as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. You are adopted into his family. You are forgiven. You are set free. There is no condemnation for you any longer. However, we will still one day, all of us, face a judgment before God. Now, this isn't a judgment for our salvation. This isn't where heaven and hell is in the balance because if you are in Christ today, your salvation, your eternity is 100% secure. But this is a judgment that will affect the praise and the rewards and the words we will hear 
from God in heaven about our lives here on earth. There here are some scriptures that, that you may want to write down and you can read and you can study these, these passages this week that talk about this judgment. You see, our Heavenly Father, He knows everything. He knows everything, not just the actions, but He also knows what's going on in, in our minds. And, and at this judgment, there will be our actions and our words and our motives even will all be revealed. They will be wide open. And what is selfish, what is self-centered, what we did with a grumbling, angry, reputation-motivated kind of service and living in our lives, that will get tossed out and said, Bleh, that was done for you, Meldon. That was done in an angry spirit. You didn't do this as a joy. You didn't do this out of love. And we will, all those good deeds will be tossed aside. And we won't receive reward or, 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 commend, or, or be commended by God for that. But we will be judged and rewarded for what we did with selfless motives in a heart, in an attitude of worship and thanksgiving, that our service, our giving, everything that we do isn't for man's approval, but it's because of our love for God, because of what He is. It's gospel-motivated. It's gospel-motivated worship and service of our God. For that, we will be rewarded and praised and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you stand in heaven one day and you do not hear those words, well done and good and faithful servant, you will know that your life here on earth was wasted when it came to the one mission that we were called to give ourselves to. We've given ourselves for so many other endeavors, so many pursuits about our reputation, about power, about money, about living for that next thing. You don't hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember as a young pastor hearing Billy Graham in an interview and I found it. It's actually available on YouTube. I ended up seeing it. It was back just when I started ministry. And, and, and Diane Sawyer, I believe, was the uh, person interviewing her, and, interviewing Billy Graham. And he said, or she asked him the question, Billy, what do you want people to say about you when you die? And he said, I don't care and I don't worry about what people will say. The only thing I'm worried about is what my Heavenly Father will say. And I long for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he said, but I'm not sure I'm going to hear that. Because he knows his heart. And he has a humble approach in that way. And that ought to also grip our own hearts as well. We will give an account one day before God. You see, Christians, we are exiles. Look at what it says. So we are told, conduct ourselves with fear during the time of your exile. In other words, while you're here on earth, we are to conduct ourselves, we are to live in this fear of God. You see, as Christians, we're exiles and strangers here on this earth. Now, you might be a citizen of Canada just as I'm a citizen of Canada, or you may be a citizen of Canada or maybe of another country, or perhaps you have a dual citizenship. But if you are in Christ, you are a believer in Christ, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. We are then heavenese. All right, so you're not Canadian, you're a heavenese. 
Vance Havner, a, a wonderful old pastor, said this, if you are a Christian, you are not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven making your way through this world. And so as citizens of heaven on earth, we are to rest. He says, conduct yourselves, live in the fear of God. Well, it's like, what does that mean? How do we rest, conduct ourselves in the fear of God? Now, now when it comes to the fear of God, again, this is oftentimes commonly ignored, greatly misunderstood command, and so we must just quickly unpack it. There are two aspects to the fear of God. And the first aspect is a trembling and a fear, or, or terror even. And then there's a second part that is awe and reverence and respect. There is the first one, the trembling and the terror, because of God's holiness, because of his grandeur, his purity, his majesty, his power, his dominion, because he is God of all creation, God of this universe, God the judge. And this should cause us to be on our face before him in humility like, like Isaiah was when, when he had that vision of the Lord and he was struck down on his face in humility and brokenness at the mere, and, and for us at the mere thought of our sin, of our compromise, of our disobedience, we should be filled with sadness and brokenness that we have sinned against a holy, majestic, loving God. But then this also carries with it this awe and reverence and respect that, that we know that this mighty God of this universe who is filled with might and strength wants a relationship with you and I and we can have his forgiveness and his grace and a mercy applied to our lives through his son Jesus. But so oftentimes, folks, we have become so casual and trivial in our approach to God, so homeboyish with God, so buddy-buddy, the big man upstairs, we become so casual, and, and, and it just what that ends up doing is it causes us to just gloss over sin rather than even considering sin, like, whoops, just made another mistake. Oh, God will understand, not a big deal. You see, but a healthy fear of God doesn't mean that we just keep walking in sin or stay in sin. No, we fight it, we resist it, we have others in our lives helping us and standing in the battle with us, praying for us and holding us to account. But when there's a healthy and a proper fear of God, it propels us towards holiness. And that holiness then results in a closeness and an intimacy and, and it, where we experience his power and his blessing and his peace, even in the midst of chaos. So here we see these commands. And if I could just get that all up on the screen as we see all five of these here that we've been working through in the last couple weeks that we would ready the mind, that we would rid the junk, that we'd remember what is ahead, that we would run to personal holiness and that we would rest in the fear of God. And, and those are such important commands and I trust that you have written those down and that you will look at that and you'll examine your own heart and you think, well, okay, what's the motivation for this? How, how do we do this and, and how is this all possible? And that's where we move into verses 18. And, 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 and here's what we see our motivation in this. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you. And through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Write this down, we have been ransomed. 
We have been ransomed from our old ways and from sin's power. And, and, and here is the great motivation and reason why we run to holiness, why we ready the mind, why we follow these five commands. You see, the bill of goods that this world tries to sell us are so desperately futile. What does he say? You've been ransomed from the futile ways of life. And yet how many people, how many Christians, how many times do you and I even get caught up or even convinced that that true meaning and purpose and joy or future hope rest in, in something here in this world? It's in that raise that we hope to get or that promotion at work or it's going to be in that vacation where we just get time away from everything or maybe it'll be in that next big purchase or in that house or, or when that person finally changes, then there will be kind of hope and joy and, and, and satisfaction in life or, or maybe it's in having a certain relationship or it's in a hobby and just being able to spend time doing your hobby and doing what you like and not what you have to do or it's in accomplishments or it just can keep on going in our lives. You know, we have a whole book in God's Word where a man was devoted to this search for happiness, for this search for meeting, for this search for hope. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. You have Solomon who had inexhaustible wealth as the king, had unseated power, and he set out on a search for the meaning of life. No experience, no thrill, no nothing was beyond his reach. It was all available to him. And yet, he concludes, there was no meaning. It was all vanity. It was meaningless, meaningless, no lasting pleasure. Oh, some good sin is fun for a season. And all of these things, they may not even be sinful. They may be fun and thrills and spills for a season. But in the end, they're meaningless. And there's still this emptiness, this God-shaped hole in our heart. We can shove the whole world in there and never be satisfied. And at the end of the book, he declares this. Listen to this. He says, the end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is where Solomon says you can have the whole world. And it's nothing unless you follow the commands of God and fear God. That is where real life and purpose and meaning and transforming hope is found. And Peter declares, we have been ransomed from our old ways and from sin's power. Here's something else. We've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. We've been purchased by his precious blood. When Peter used the word ransom in verse 18, when he used the word ransom, it also, in some translations, it will say redeemed. His readers um, would have instantly connected the dots with what he was saying. You see, the Roman Empire in those days had an estimated six million legal Jews. Six million of them. And slaves would be brought into the marketplace and they would be placed on a platform and they would be sold one after the other to the highest bidder. Once a slave, always a slave until death. You know, everyone who is born on the face of this earth has been born as a slave to sin with no hope of being set free. No hope of getting out from that slavery by human effort. Human effort. But God stepped in to purchase, to ransom, to redeem, to set us free from the slavery, the slavery to sin that leads ultimately to meaninglessness and ultimately to death, eternal separation from God forever. And it wasn't, we were not purchased with gold or silver because even though they may be precious, they're perishable. One day they'll all be consumed. One day they'll all be bought. But we have been bought, we've been purchased 
by the precious blood of Christ, our freedom was purchased. And it's on that motivation of what Christ has done that we've been ransomed from our old ways and, and we've been set free from sin's power and we've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. We are motivated to live for him. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus, it says, Jesus answered them, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he goes on to say, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And what are those five commandments? What do you need to be set free from today? Do you need to ready the mind? You need to know that we are in a spiritual warfare and you've just kind of taken a lackadaisical approach in your spiritual life. Do you need to rid the junk, get rid of some of the distractions that are keeping you away from God? Do you need to keep your, your, your mind and your thoughts focused on what's ahead? That heaven is our real home, not that home that you're trying to, that you're giving yourself for, that you're working so hard for, for the things of this world, but heaven is our real, real home. Do we need to run to personal holiness? Are there areas of unholiness that we need to confess, we need to repent, we need to turn from, we need to get help? And run to personal holiness to reflect that of our loving, loving, gracious Heavenly Father. Or do we need to rest in the fear of God knowing He is the judge? And yet He is a God who loves, who desires to reward His children. So I wonder today, what do you need to zero in on? What do you need to repent of? You need to come running to his mercy today. Heavenly Father, even now, we just pray that, that this would be a time, and, and if some need to go back and re-watch this because the kids or just life has been a distraction this morning for them, that they would go back and re-watch. This is essential. This is the difference between a life of power and a life of, of, of just frustration and weakness. This is the difference between a life of joy and victory in Christ and one of just struggle and defeat. And God, I pray that we would run to you as the God who loves us, who loves us so much that he sent his son to ransom and to redeem us, to set us free. And so would we run to you? Would we experience this transforming hope? And I pray that today would be the start for all of us in a new metamorphosis, a new transformation, a deepening sanctification in our love and our growth and our desire to follow and live for you today until the day we are called home. Would we be found faithful? Let's worship together.